Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I appreciate you listeners leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. Um, We've had some new reviews come in. It's helpful for me. So um, if you're looking how to support this podcast, thank you for sharing it with others. And thank you for leaving a review. As I've mentioned in the past, you can't donate to this podcast, just a labor of love, uh, bringing um, stories. Sometimes we have kind of famous people on the podcast that are authors and well-known in our Latter-day Saint community. But sometimes we have somebody who's less well-known. And um, this is a platform to amplify their voices also, people we perhaps don't usually hear from. And we have one of those people on the podcast. Now, she may be an author one day and become well-known in our community, but right now, um, welcome to the podcast, Maddie Davis. Thank you. Happy to be here. Uh, Maddie is um, joining me via Zoom. She's a BYU student. She's a freshman at BYU. She's going to talk about her own porn use. We have done over 600 episodes, and we have never had a Latter-day Saint woman step forward and talk about her porn use. And I've received a lot of messages from Latter-day Saint women saying, not ready to be on your podcast, but I'm working through porn use. These male podcasts are helping me, but I also feel shame because there's no women's stories. And so Maddie's um, the first person um, that has stepped forward on this platform and wanted to share her story. And it's really brave. Um, She, as I mentioned, is a BYU student, age 19. She's a pre-business major, would love to be in entrepreneurial management. Um, She grew up in Logan, but then um, spent her last years before BYU in Riverton, graduated from Riverton High School. Um, She's going to talk a little bit about her, obviously, story. Um, She's also started a podcast. We'll link to that in the show notes so you can hear Mm -hmm. other stories of women working through pornography and the other subjects. Let me read the email that Maddie sent me just to give context. Hi, my name is Maddie Davis. I'm a freshman in my first semester at BYU. I was speaking with Chandler Rogers, so inspiring about Relay. That's the app. And he referred me to you. And by the way, listeners, Chandler Rogers was on episode 528. If you want to listen to his podcast over the past few months, I've felt an extremely strong prompting that I have more work to do in the area of helping young girls who are struggling with pornography. For a while, I've tried to ignore it, rationalize the prompting away. But Heavenly Father's confirmed to me again and again, this is something that needs to happen, and there is a huge need for it. And um, then we talk a little bit about setting up the podcast. So, um, listeners, I'm going to turn it over to Maddie to share her story. And our hope is this will help if you're working to end porn use, that Maddie's story will help you. And also if you're an LDS parent, LDS local leader, that the things that Maddie share will help you as you're helping others to solve porn use. A lot of this, I think, can be done in the family where parents have better skills and um, create a culture that kids feel safe opening up if they have um, porn use, whether intentional or unintentional, um, as well as local leaders. So with that, Maddie, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, awesome. Uh, so I'll just start from the beginning, I guess, is a good place to start. So I personally found pornography at 13, um, which actually, surprisingly, is a little bit older um, for 
normal kids to find pornography. Usually it's around 11 that they find it. Um, and so if you hear that and you're like, man, well, I found it when I was eight years old, you're not alone. Um, like that's not anyway. So jumping right in, um, found it when I was 13. And I remember I kind of just had these feelings of like, wait, like this is, this is like wrong. This is different. And, um, it was super new and super confusing for me. Um, because I just hadn't been taught that like women could ever have those feelings and especially at 13 um like I remember being in young women's lessons and um hearing okay here's our lesson about pornography we know that you guys don't struggle with it but um maybe listen for your your future spouse and so the statistic is about 35 percent 30 or 35 percent so it's one in three women and so in a classroom of like 15 or so young women it's me and four other young women who are sitting there having the exact same thoughts of oh my gosh like I am actually the worst person ever and there's got to be something wrong with me and I'm just disgusting for ever even having these thoughts let alone acting on them um and so that kind of, it made me draw the conclusion that just girls in general don't watch pornography. And you also hear the the phrase of like, boys will be boys, you know, and obviously not that they're saying that it's a good thing for boys to do, but it feels more normalized. Um, and so, all right, <laughs> let me think of what I'm going to say next. <laughs> Let me ask you. Um, let me just ask you a quick question. You, this is great. You're yeah. really brave. Do you know if that one in three women um, at that age group is that LDS women or um, women in general? That's women. I'm pretty sure that was like a national um, statistic. I could probably for, get you. The that's source fine. On that that, you that's fine. Just for listeners that are wondering if there's ever been research done with LDS, um, young women, age women. So listeners, but that's, yeah. that would be a statistic that in general could likely scale to LDS, um, young women population. So, and yeah, I, well, actually, um, they, they do have a little bit of statistics just on LDS. Um, this is for older. So they surveyed, uh, YSA BYU bishops on what percentage of their ward members come to them because they're struggling with pornography and this is male and f- female. So they surveyed them in 2019 and then at the end of 2020. So in 2019, it was 60 to 80% of their ward and that's male and female. And then at the end of 2020, it was 80 plus percent, some reporting 100%. And so there is, if you are having those thoughts of, man, I'm alone in this. There is statistically no way, (laughs) like there's no chance that you were alone in this. Um, so anyway, um, back to, so yeah, 13 years old, um, wasn't educated that women were sexual beings at all. Um, wasn't educated that this is something that could really like get anyone no one is immune to it. There's not a specific stereotype of like, I was, I was like a good kid and my parents had had kind of like put a label on me, I guess. Like my parents are great. This wasn't like their fault at all. Um, But kind of like I had that expectation to be the perfect kid 
and, you know, like straight A's, like doing all the extracurriculars. And then there was this double life that I was living that I felt so just out of touch with myself. And so it took me, um, it took me about a year or two to finally kind of understand, okay, I might actually need to go like talk to someone about this and get help with it. And, um, so I was 14 or 15 when I decided to send the text to my Bishop. And I remember I sent it on like a Wednesday or a Thursday and those like four or five days leading up to it were so stressful. (laughs) And, um, it was, it was crazy because Satan knows when there's something really amazing about to happen. And he knew that me walking into that bishop's office, as soon as I got in there, he didn't have grasp on me anymore. And so he really wanted to prevent me from getting in there. And um, he worked really, really hard on me, especially in those days leading up to it. And I always compare it to like, um, like a Joseph Smith experience, Joseph Smith in the Sacred Grove. Um, sitting outside of the bishop's office versus coming out. It was seriously like all of that darkness um, beating down on me. And the thoughts, like, I remember genuinely thinking, like, I'm going to go into the bishop's office and he's going to, he's going to be like, really? Like, Maddie, like you struggle with this? And looking back, that is not at all what happened. It was an amazing experience. Um, I went in and I remember he he told me a couple of things. He told me that I was still a daughter of God. He told me that I was still just as valuable and that I was still just as loved. And hearing those three things really changed a lot for me. Um, and it was really interesting that those were the things that he decided to say, because I think, um, as a Bishop, having those keys to, to, um, like sit there as a literal representative of Christ, he understood that what I needed was not to hear that, hey, you know what you're doing is wrong, or hey, like, um, you know that that's a sin, right? Or you even hear, I remember hearing in seminary, like, um, sins, sins regarding um, the law of chastity are right up next to murder. And at, thir- at like, well, I don't know if I was in seminary at 13, but like, at that age, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, I'm, you know what, like, it's it's over for me, like, there's no chance of of redemption of redemption and i really thought that like i'd hear um lessons about the atonement and i'm like man like what an awesome gift for everyone else like i've got to be the exception you know because there really has to be something wrong with me and i really did believe that um and so i remember hearing those things from my bishop regarding my identity um and that really sparked something for me because Pornography is, and a lot of the things we we tell, we say that people are struggling with pornography and stuff. And I can promise you 99% of the time, it's not that they're struggling with pornography. It's that they're struggling with like some part of their identity. I promise 99% of the time. And then they are trying to use pornography as the solution because it works temporarily. Um, And so I, obviously I didn't understand that at 13 years old, I was just like, oh, okay, this is like a weird new thing that feels really wrong, but I don't know how to stop it because my brain is kind of, it's starting to crave this. Um, 
because you ha- like I had those like dopamine cycles that I was going through where I'd have the baseline of dopamine and then I view pornography it would spike and then my baseline would drop lower and my brain would crave it more and more and I didn't realize that I was doing that to myself but um like at, at 14 or 15 it had gotten to the point where my brain was quite literally chemically depressed because it had such low levels of dopamine and so I knew that I needed to um, get help and so finally went and talked to the bishop so after I sorry that was a long little tangent about the bishop but (laughs) um, after I talked to him I remember coming out of that office and I we talk about the atonement as being able to lift a weight off of our back but I feel like we don't give enough credit to the enabling power of the atonement um because not only had I felt that weight of that sin and the shame especially um, lifted off of me, but it felt like every single aspect of my life started improving. Like I remember walking out of there and it was like a spring or summer day and the sky was blue, but it was bluer and the leaves and the grass were green, but they were greener. And I don't use that as a metaphor. I mean it quite literally. Like it was weird. (laughs) And I just, it was like pure joy. Like it was just, it it was literally like the best thing I've ever felt in my life. And I just felt so relieved and finally felt like I had a sense of direction in my life. And I wasn't trapped in that um, darkness and um, just lost anymore. And so um, following that, it was, so again, I'm 14 or 15 ish. I really can't remember. Um, <laughs> but then I was, I was actually clean for about, I don't like using that word, but I didn't view pornography for about, um, about a year after, I think. And I was kind of use the term white knuckling it. And it just means using like sheer willpower and it worked for a little bit. And I really was very motivated um, to change. And I really didn't want that to come into my life again, because I had seen the negative effects of it and just knew that that wasn't something that I wanted. Um, but then at around age 16, um, I learned a very important lesson that willpower is finite and willpower actually does run out eventually. Um, and that wasn't a sustainable way for me to, um, stop viewing pornography. And so I, um, slipped up and fell back into the habit of pornography. And I was so, I remember I was so disappointed in myself. I was like, like, are you serious? I thought we were over this, you know, like we went to the Bishop that was like one and done, you know, like you can't go back again now. Like he's, and all of those thoughts from the adversary just kept, um, creeping in again, even though I knew that it was possible for me to, um, to have my sins um, taken away from me. It's if you don't keep up with like that, the constant connection with God, you're going to forget about it and you're going to forget how amazing it felt to have that atoning power. And so um, anyway, it's uh, honestly the timeline since then is a little bit blurry, but I have learned so many like important things. Like I've learned that like that, that, messing up at 16 that taught me that relapses actually don't start you back at square one and if you if you're able to um take the atonement and use it to grow and to learn from it then 
then it's actually worth it. And it's, it actually happens for a reason. Um, I, right now at BYU, I'm taking this uh, Book of Mormon class from Brad Wilcox. And it's like the coolest class ever. I have no idea how I got into it as a freshman, but I'm so glad I did. Um, but he was talking one day about, um, how do you phrase it? Um, he said, suffering is a required course in life, but growth is an elective. And I loved that. I thought that was so well phrased. And I think that growth is an elective because of the atonement of Jesus Christ and because we have um, access to that power in our lives. So I'm going to stop and kind of, um, yeah, let you ask some questions. Um, you're really brave, Maddie, just to talk about your own story. It takes so much courage. And I think Satan's biggest tool is shame and to keep us from talking. So I would think, and you'll probably share this, that talking about this is part of your path to recovery. I love what the bishop said. Um, his natural pastoral heart to not remind you there was no shame in what he, he said to you. And you even mentioned some of the things he could have said that would just created shame and embarrassment. But I love the, what all he said was about your identity and just remind you that that is intact. And to me, that's our doctrine, listeners, is our worth is set because we're children of heavenly parents and divine nature and nothing can change that. And our worth, worthiness to go to the temple may come and go, but our worth is set. And our relationship with our heavenly parents is set and our ability to pray to Heavenly Father. So I love that he um, set that framework with you. Um, listeners, I think you caught that Maddie set this appointment up probably on a Wednesday and first Sunday. And I, one of the things I've thought is what could we do? I'm not a bishop anymore, but I think one of the things we could do, and I wish I did, is I wish I'd gone as a wise bishop to... Release Society and said, Dear sisters, if any of you are um, viewing porn, um, this is how I respond if you reach out. This is the, um, and just to sort of take that conversation out of the unknown and just make it known so that they would know as a group. So I don't feel like I'm picking on anyone. Um, same with the elders quorum. I think a homeward bishop could do that with the youth. I don't think that encourages viewing porn just to talk about how we're going to respond if someone reaches out. I think parents, I wish I'd done this, our six kids are out of the home. I wish I'd done that with our kids and said, unintentional or intentional porn, um, this is how we'll respond as parents. And we want to walk with you on this road. So I think that anxiety and people can get themselves in a pretty dark place because you'll hear comments about people voting viewing porn, and I don't want to repeat those comments, but I think we can talk about it, still talk about it as a sin, but humanize people and not demonize them that are working to solve this so that they feel safe coming out because they're hearing kind things about people that are working to solve porn use. And so I thought your, that segment was really brave. Um, and there's nothing wrong with you, and you're thinking all this in your head. I'm the only... I'm 14-year-old Latter-day Saint woman in the whole church viewing porn. And I think you make a real good point, Maddie, that um, we as a culture have said men are sexualized beings and they're sometimes out of control. And it's the job of young women to keep them in control. And 
that's kind of another story. But part of that narrative, which I don't believe, is that um, women aren't sexual beings. And so they would, so then if a young woman's lesson, like you mentioned, says, we know you're not viewing porn. Um, this is kind of for your future spouse or when you're a mom of sons. That, it's good you're talking about porn and young women's, but um, it makes it harder for you to talk about it if you've already been framed up as something that you're never going to be struggling with. So really mm-hmm. wonderful um, co- concepts there. And um, and we did, you know, you back to your statistics. I, uh, I ended my service in 2016, but the statistics you shared are, what I, what I came to be. And a lot of, and women did reach out and talk about porn use. And it took a lot of courage because I recognize they're female and I'm male. And it might be easier for men to talk to men about porn use um, and harder yeah. for women. So it just takes so much courage. And so that's why I love what your, the way your bishop responded. So keep sharing your story. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that was 16. And then Honestly, the timeline up to like now is pretty blurry, but I can't say. So in June of 2022, I started getting these promptings and it was like, you have some kind of work to do in helping young girls who are struggling with pornography. And I kind of backtalked Heavenly <laughs> Father. I was like yeah I don't know about that like I'm I'm going into college I'm gonna I'm just learning how to cook my own meals you know like that's that's enough on my plate and handling all my classes like I don't think I could take this on and then it just kept coming and it would not go away and um that has definitely taught me don't ignore promptings just just act on them (laughs) when they come um and so yeah, kind of middle of last semester, I decided, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, then like, I'm going to go all in. And I was like, I'm going to write a book. <laughs> and I went and like met with English professors. And um, at this point, so I'm right now, I'm like in the midst of figuring out stuff for my mission. But at that point, my availability date was like, I was thinking like June or so. So I was like, yeah, I need to write a book. And I need to do it in six months. And <laughs> their general consensus was, you actually can't do that. And I was like, well. And so I went and met with um, some entrepreneurship professors. And I was like, I think maybe these people will tell me that I can. And so um, I went and met with them. And it was actually super, like, they were super helpful. It was interesting. Like, their questions were more like, okay, like, who do you need connections to? Like, like, what can I do to actually make this happen? And just opened my mind to a lot of um, possibilities. So it was super cool. Um, anyway, I decided not to go the route of a book. I think that would be super cool to do in the future. But um, yeah, I've just been for the past, I think, two months or so now, um, just kind of going and sharing my story and seeing how many, um, I've had so many um, young women come and talk to me and um, and say, Hey, wait, like, this is actually something that I struggle with too. Like, I'm glad that someone is like saying stuff about this. And so it's just kind of proven to me that like, we need to start talking about this. And I'm not just a crazy person who's just like, (laughs) you know, like I'm actually not the only one, um, who has, and there's a lot of people who are still struggling in silence and especially a lot of, of younger girls. And it's been kind of hard to, um, bridge that gap and like 
like because I know at 13 I wasn't listening to podcasts or like I, I wasn't going to go ask my parents to buy a book about it um and so it's been kind of hard to bridge that gap and figure out like how do I get in front of the faces of like those young women who who are in my exact position um who feel like they are the only ones um so anyway that kind of brings us um to now um I guess oh I'll talk a little bit about what I'm doing now as far as um, a podcast. So I have, I think by the time this is released, I will have a couple episodes out, but um, I have my own podcast. It's called Sisters on the Front Lines. Um, And so basically I just have women on who have struggled with it and they come and share their story. Um, They have the option to do it as anonymously as they would like. Um, I have ways that I can do like a voice changer on them so that they don't have to put their identity out there and um and I can change their name and um no headshots or anything so anyway that's kind of the newest development and I'm just kind of seeing where it takes me I love that you're doing a podcast listeners will link to the podcast in the show notes sisters on the front lines how do people get a hold of you Maddie so I'm on Instagram at sisters on the front lines and then sisters on the front lines at gmail.com if you want to email me. So we'll put all the, put, put both of those on, I'll post this on Instagram, of course, and tag you, but in the show notes of the podcast, we'll put the email address Maddie just mentioned as well as the Instagram account. Um, talk, uh, is it okay if I ask you some more questions? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you're public about porn use and some people would be public because they don't want their, you're a woman and you date guys. You don't want your future husband to know this about you and he's going to know this about you. So why, um, why be public about it? Because some would say, well, I'm just going to solve this, take it to the grave and never tell anybody because I don't want my future spouse to know about this. So talk, you've obviously worked through that in your mind. That might be helpful for listeners? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> so there's a quote that I love. Uh, I think it comes from a TED talk that was given a while ago about, it's called like everything you know about addiction is wrong, something like that. But it says the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is human connection. And I love that. And it has rang so true to me as I have um, continued this stuff. And so as far as like, like, oh man, like my, my husband's going to know about it. Like, honestly, at this point, like that is just not even a concern. Like, I think, um, doing this, like actually kind of opens, opens me up to people that I want to be surrounded with people who are really comfortable with every single part of themselves and, um, like are going to, like I love the idea of self-actualization and like we all need to be able to be comfortable with every single part of ourselves even the parts of ourselves that we're not super proud of and um that we don't we don't really like to talk about as much and I'm not saying that every single person has to go and share their story super openly but it's good to just talk to at least one person and that's it's really you're carrying an unnecessary burden if you are in the mindset of, Oh, I'm just going to take this to my grave. You know, um, that's actually, I have a good friend. Um, when she went on podcasts, her name was Ashley air, but now her name is Ashley Dean. She got married. 
um, she's super cool. She's talked super openly about her um, porn use. And she, we were talking and she's like, yeah, that was my exact mindset. I was like, I'm literally not telling anyone about this until the day I die. Like I, I actually am going to take this to my grave. Um, and she ended up telling, just kind of blurting out one time when like her and her cousin were having a conversation. And she said that like, she was, she was ready. Like she, she knew at any opportunity that she had to share her story, she was going to jump on it. And her and her cousin were having this conversation in the car or something. And somehow the topic of like, what's your biggest struggle right now came up. And she was just like, I struggle with pornography. And like, it took two seconds, one second of courage for her to, um, to say that and to finally regain control of her life. Um, and so I promise like anyone listening who has that same mindset of like, I'm just going to take this to my grave. And a lot of times that actually does come with like, like I get the intentions behind it. Like I don't want to burden my future spouse with this. And I don't want to burden my kids with this. Um, and not that you have to like go tell your like little kids that you struggle with this, but it's just the first step to to actually solving these problems is just talking about it and just ignoring it in this case ignorance ignorance is not bliss i promise ignorance is going to make you really really miserable it's going to put you exactly where satan wants you and it's going to keep you isolated um and so yeah to, to anyone listening who's having that same mindset i get it i have been exactly right there but i promise you as you start connecting with people that is when you start real recovery. That was a great segment, Maddie. Um, I think listeners, as I, I love how you talk about the opposite of addiction. Um, I, I would have, you know, I've, I wrote a, a book, um, listeners, and I'll link to that in the show, no, show notes, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture. And one of the chapters is Overcoming Porn Use, and it's based on an Ensign article. I wrote for the church seven tips to overcoming porn use. And, and one of the things about, um, is, you know, a lot of these principles that you're talking about are part of that Ensign article. Um, one of the things I'd like to mention is as for those that are single, sometimes we get into what I call the checklist mindset. I was into the checklist mindset when I was dating at BYU a long time ago. And I had all these checklists that I thought would helped me find um, who I was looking for. And then I realized the checklist was not really very good because it was really the attributes I was looking for. Um, and I recognized that some of the things that I put on my checklist, like never been divorced, and then I dated a divorced woman and she had the, some of these incredible attributes that I was looking for. Now, I didn't marry a divorced woman, but it taught me to dump the checklist and so if you're on your checklist that your future spouse has never looked at porn, um, you can keep that on your checklist if you feel really inspired, but you might think about that again, because uh, Maddie and some of the people we've had on the podcast, I'm sure they wish they hadn't looked at porn, but the journey to solve that has developed the attributes that you may want in a spouse, empathy, compassion authentic ways to connect, better communication skills, understanding of the atonement, the very things that um, might make that person a better spouse and a better parent. So 
I think everybody's free to, if they're dating someone, they come out with porn use, to go get personal revelation for your path, knowing that. And some that may lead to a breakup. Some that may lead to even more connection as you're both vulnerable about the realities of your life. And I love this church's statement, write your own story or author your own story. Even if you hear Maddie's story about coming out and you feel like coming out with porn use, um, you may feel like that's not my path, but I, I think that's okay. I think you need to talk to your heavenly father and at least, you know, let him know about your porn use and get guidance and support from him as far as making your way journey to solve that. I'd encourage you to talk to your priesthood leader um, for those of you that are Latter-day Saints. So another thing I like to talk about this and Maddie's touched on this is just, I look at, I went to a therapist as a YSA bishop to ask her her input on all the, because I had all these YSAs viewing porn, and I wasn't helping them very much, to be honest, because um, they were still looking at porn. And she taught me the iceberg concept. She says, what you're seeing above the waterline is porn use. But if you really want to solve it, you've got to get the YSAs to see what's at the bottom of the iceberg. And, and they can white-knuckle it for a while, and you can give them goals and deadlines and checklist things. But to solve it, They've got to get to the bottom of the iceberg. And often the bottom of the iceberg requires a therapist or somebody with thoughtful skills. Is it that is it anxiety? Is it stress? Is it a way to escape? Is it lack of real connection that you talked about? Is it escaping from other really difficult traumas you've experienced in life and numbing yourself through porn use because of, you know, traumas that need to be dealt with? And it's still a sin, but in the context of What's at the bottom of the iceberg? That often is the path to longer Hermi healing. So, so we need to talk compassionately about people with their above the iceberg behavior, um, because it may be more about what's at the bottom of the iceberg. I don't think people. I don't think you woke up as a fourteen-year-old Latter-day Saint faithful woman and said, "What can I do to displease Heavenly Father today?" Hmm. I'm going to look up porn. That's it. This was not about a desire to sin. This is probably about curiosity at, for, at first that gradually became a coping mechanism. And so those are just some of my thoughts, listeners, as, as Maddie's talking, some of the things I generally share. Uh, Maddie touched on this too. As one of our guests talked about a spiral staircase, he felt like falsely that every time he messed up, he was back to square one and all the work he'd done and all the repentance was off the table. And he was back to that loser, porn user at square one who started at eight and now is at 28, still dealing with it. And he, um, through better understanding the enabling power of the Thomas, says, no, it's a spiral staircase and I'm going up. And I'm not one, I'm one day closer to ending porn use versus back at square one. And I think Satan wants us to feel, he wants us to look backwards in a whirlpool of lies and self-loathing, why Satan, why Christ and his atonement wants us to put ourselves forward with hope and healing and understanding and not a feeling that your life is ruined and my life is over. So back to you, Maddie, for more thoughts. I love it. I know I've been, there's just so many good things that you just touched on. I, I love all of it. Um, so kind of back to what you were first talking about, like, um, that checklist of dating that we have 
I feel like a lot of us kind of go into dating with that. And then, you know, if they don't have that one on the checklist, then they're out. Um, but I just think that this idea, and I mean, I think this applies to more than dating. It applies to ourselves. It applies to how we view and um, raise our families. But just the idea of like perfection, an absolute illusion. Like it's never, that's actually never going to happen. And it was never, at least on, on this earth. and. It, it was never intended to happen um, on this earth. And so we can't expect um, per- perfection out of um, other people. Um, but there are, like you said, like there's qualities that we can look for. And really the most important thing is not, okay, do they or do they not view pornography? It's like you said, like the iceberg, like what are the underlying concerns? Um, why, why, why are they viewing pornography and just kind of coming at it? Like if, if they do come to you and tell you about their pornography use coming at it from a lens, that's just genuinely curious and not condemning and just very like, okay, um, like why? And, and even if you are struggling with your own porn use, that's one thing that has really helped me is just this idea of, um, of like radical acceptance and just, okay, this is where I'm at right now. Like, um, I'm having the urge to view pornography right now. Why? Like, where am I? Um, what, what am I like, what was I doing an hour before this and five minutes before this? Um, what am I feeling about myself? Um, and just not pushing those thoughts away. Like I, Sarah Brewer talks about this a lot. Um, I'm curious, was that who you talked to? <laughs> Cause she talks a lot. Um, she, no, it wasn't. I didn't connect with her during my why say summit, but we've had her on the podcast. She's terrific. She's so cool. And yeah, so she, are you, she, Maddie. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I know she is just like wonderful in how she, she approaches it. She talks about when you feel the urge, you can either um, suppress it or you can immediately react or you can just accept it. And I love those ideas and, and really just the pure acceptance of, okay, this is what I'm feeling right now. Why? Like what what's going on? And just like questioning all of yeah, I I just love it. So, um, and then there was, so you talked about like, we were were talking about how like we need connection. And I think a lot of times we think like, okay, like, you know, I'll just, I'll just go connect with Heavenly Father, maybe like pray about it once and then we'll be good. And then I'll, connection, checked off the box. (laughs) But it really is, it's such a constant connection. And um, there's another quote, it says Satan chooses his disciples while in isolation and Jesus is Jesus chooses his disciples while they're at work. And so I just, I love that one. I think it's so important that we are continually putting in the work to connect with people um, about this and about the, the deeper and the harder topics um, in our lives. Um, and then, okay. And then also while you're, sorry, I have like so many notes because just everything you said was so good. Um, so while you're talking about the, the iceberg and you're talking about like me as a 13 year old, like, I think it's also super important to acknowledge that, yeah, I didn't just go into it one day and I was like, well, today's the day I'm going to go view pornography. <laughs> like, it's never like that. And we talk about, um, by small and simple things, great things are come to pass, but by small, simple things, evil things are come to pass too. And it's never just one day that like, like we talk about these, 
these decisions and we're like okay like what do you do when you're when you're like at a party and they're passing around drugs like yeah obviously we're gonna we're gonna say no if we're put into that situation but it's never like that it's like there's always things leading up to it and if you're in that situation of a party there's always like oh you think you're going with good friends and you think that whatever and with pornography it's like oh you like for me it was like social media like i was going through social media and i was like wait like what what is this like maybe there's a whole new world and then it just kind of like spiral spiraled down it wasn't ever an intentional I'm going to go view pornography to, to learn more about like sex, sex education. Like, no, it was, it was never that. Um, and it was, like you said, it was curiosity. And again, it tied a lot back to my identity. Like as a 13 year old girl, what do most 13 year old girls struggle with? It was body image and self-esteem issues and just not feeling okay and comfortable with myself. And so I found something that did temporarily make me feel good about myself. And so I kept turning back to that um okay last note that i have and then i will stop talking no, this is um, your time maddie <laughs> um so i i thought it was interesting when you're talking about the the guy that like every time he he slipped up he was like well you know i'm back at square one i'm back to this like loser and just like this guy that that looks at porn like like only, only bad people look at that, you know, and a lot of times, um, so I, it's in, I'm pretty sure it's in Atomic Habits, that book. Um, he talks about like viewing, like we, we become like, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you really do think that you are a loser and a bad person, then you're going to act in accordance to how a quote unquote loser or a bad person would act. But if you do truly believe that um, you are actually a really good person who just is like gotten to bad things and things that are sadly like destructive, then you have the chance to like be redeemable. And you, if you do believe that you are truly a child of God and are truly loved and are truly valued, all those things that my bishop told me, then even if you are struggling with porn use, you can still flip that script and say, hey, wait actually I am redeemable and I'm actually not inherently a bad person because of this. This is just something that, that I'm struggling with right now. It's really good. All right. Talk about mission. You mentioned that a little bit. Are you thinking of going on a mission? Yes. No, maybe no pressure. (laughs) Oh man. What do you ask? I won't go into like the whole story, but basically for like, for pretty much my whole life, I've just been like, yeah, like a mission is for me. I just think that, I would love it. And I think that I had, I kind of felt a calling towards it because I've just felt this amazing joy through the gospel. And I feel like I need to share that with other people. Um, but kind of as I've started doing all of this stuff, like so many doors have been um, like being opened. And so right now I'm just like in the midst of, I actually met with my bishop like last night because um, I'm planning on taking out my endowments to hopefully get like some more guidance on what I need to do but it's kind of a question of like wait like is this my mission or is a like one and a half year mission my mission so I'm in the midst of figuring all that out (laughs) thanks for answering that was a great answer um I'm not your bishop but I love that you felt impressed to take out your endowment separate from a mission decision 
Um, there was a time, listeners, when I, especially when I first started my assignment 10 years ago, that generally women's endowments were tied in with life events like getting married or going on a mission or kind of being so old that neither of those were happening. And I love the way that the endowment is just not tied to event. It could be, and that's fine. But for you, it's just part of your spiritual journey. And used it in the context, I want to be closer to my Heavenly Father. And I want those covenants in my life and the power of those covenants in my life to help me on this journey that I'm on right now and also to figure out if a mission's the right thing for me. So that is awesome. And I just love where we're maturing as a church that we're looking at um, decisions that way. And I hope for women listening that you don't feel any cultural expectations to go on a mission. I think we do best when sisters receive personal revelation and own that decision versus responding to cultural expectations or family expectations. I just think we do better when people make intentional decisions based on the personal revelation they're receiving. And your mission may be to talk about this and that you're a trailblazer, you're a warrior. And if you go on a mission, you'll this will come up at times. And because you're understanding the atonement, it's not theoretical for you. It's... um. I think there's two parts of the atonement you understand better. I think you understand the sin and taking away a sin, but there's also the enabling part or the sort of just giving hope and perspective and courage. And I think there's a part of the atonement that's helping you that's not just taking away the sin, but is helping you go forward. So um, I love the idea, just to make sure, is if parents are talking to kids about this, Talk about the difference between intentional and unintentional and normalize unintentional pornography viewing because in most homes where there's in schools and environments where there's just the internet and smartphones, young kids are going to be exposed to pornography and they're not going to want to be exposed to it. Someone's just going to put a phone and they're going to feel really bad and a little curious. And you as parents might start to talk to your kids about intentional and unintentional and um, so that if they have unintentional pornography, the first person they turn to is mom and dad. And mom and dad just give them a big, huge hug because they're really upset about that generally. Um, And it's distressing to them. Um, Now, intentional pornography use could be part of their journey too. And I think it's good also to embrace them the same way and talk about walking this road together and what you can do to help them. But it got to create a culture as a family that kids feel safe coming out with the realities of their life. And we don't talk about brother so-and-so whose marriage ended because he was looking at pornography and what a horrible person he is. And um, we just talk kindly about, we could even telegraph how we're going to feel when just talking kindly about people that are working through porn use and just say, well, that's a sin, um, but they're good people, just like you talked about your identity. So I think another thing I may have mentioned, Maddie's giving me more time to talk than I usually do, is one of the YSAs taught me the difference between lapsed and relapsed. And lapsed, and Maddie kind of talked about this, is when you mess up, but you pragmatically just say, you kind of talked about this when you have some triggers. Um, I'm not inviting it to lapse, but if you um, lapse, you look at it as a learning experience. You think, what happened? What are the 
five things that were different about the last five days that led to me messing up. Relapse is where you just binge <laughs> and you just sort of throw in the towel and you binge for a period of time. And neither of those I'm inviting you to do, but lapse is different than relapse. Um, and so if you're on the journey to solve porn, that spiral staircase, look at your lapses I'm, as a positive thing and saying, okay, some even the YSAs even did a, I can't remember what they called it. I don't think it was called a porn journal. It was just a journal that no one else would see, but it was just there. They wrote about it. And cognitively, it brought the cognitive part of their brain into the recovery process to bring that part of the brain. Next time they got triggered, they were kind of aware of their triggers and what they would do to kind of help the trigger pass. Um, triggers are normal. It's normal to be triggered. I think that's one of the things Sarah Brewer teaches. And um, it's sort of how we respond to those triggers as well, full agency kicks in. So I'm sending it back to you, Maddie, for more thoughts. Yeah, I just, I love that. And I love the, um, the idea of like talking your kids about intentional and unintentional and the relapse versus lapse. I've, I've never heard that before. I think that's super interesting and good. Um, I also just, so a lot of times, like I'm totally speaking from personal experience, but I've heard a lot of stories similar to this, but um, a lot of times when we have those initial feelings of curiosity, because that's how it starts a lot of times, and then it slowly builds into like more, more pornography use. And then we associate those feelings of shame and of guilt and of like the need to hide and isolate with the curiosity. And we kind of think of curiosity as a bad thing. Like, man, I can't, I can't do that again. Like, and I um, I made this post. I, I'm a much better writer than I'm a speaker. So I'm just going to read a little bit of what it says. Um, so it says, curiosity might've killed the cat, but it doesn't have to kill you. Um, one of the most common reasons people say they view pornography for the first time is curiosity. Um, as it slowly turns into more than that, we associate the feeling of curiosity with all those negative feelings associated with pornography use, shame, guilt, isolation, fear, etc. But what if curiosity was the start of the solution? And then I kind of talk about like what, like the, that radical acceptance, like just, okay, wait, where am I? What am I doing? Um, and so I really think that that not condemning curiosity and especially as parents, like, like not telling your kids that like them being curious was a bad thing, but just letting them know what part of it, like is wrong and what part of it is is okay is super important um that was really my main thought with that i didn't have a million <laughs> to add more thoughts you'd like to share that was a that was a great one more thoughts that are on your mind okay so i i love the the talking to parents and i would love to just add a little bit more of just kind of some first-hand advice for anyone who who really anyone who has kids. I was going to say anyone who has kids who are struggling with pornography, but just anyone who has kids, because like the way that the world is today, I promise you it is not ever going to be an if, but a when they do encounter pornography. And I know that that's kind of scary and, and maybe kind of sad, but the sooner that you face that reality, I promise the sooner that you are on the right track to helping your kids. So um, I have like a couple points that I always like to talk about with parents. So I think number one is just telling your kid 
like, I, I think a little humility goes a long way and just telling your kid, Hey, like, this is really, this is a new thing. And, um, like I am totally learning how to approach this and I'm going to be extremely patient with you, but, um, I would appreciate if like you were extremely patient with me. And I think that that will really help just kind of, um, I think a lot of times when we hear like that, when parents hear that their kid or like find out that their kid is struggling with pornography, it can be a really scary thing. And a lot of times they just want to like react and and take away all the screens and everything. And sometimes that is like part of the solution is like limiting screen use and stuff. But um, a lot of times it's more fear-based and it's more, it turns into more of like a, I don't want to say like dictatorship. That's not, it's the word that's coming to my mind, <laughs> but I hope, I think you know what I mean, but it turns to more of like a, I guess, tyrannical kind of rule. And like, this is how we're doing things. You can, you can never do this again. Like that's evil. And I promise you, your kids feel bad about it. Like I, I almost guarantee it. Of course there's some, some exception exceptions, but a lot of times when the pornography enters, um, into your kid's life, Satan is working so hard on them. And and like regardless if they have been taught over and over again that like hey this is wrong i promise you the shame and the guilt is enough and they have enough for for both them and you like there there's no need and there's no room for shame and and shame is it's just never going to lead to change um i would say number 2 and you kind of talked about it is just being super aware of how you're talking about it. Like, I loved the example of like, oh man, did you hear about so-and-so? He, his marriage was ruined or her marriage was ruined by her pornography use. And, and kind of saying that like kids are smart and they're going to pick up on that. And they're going to think, man, I can't talk to my parents about this because like, they're just going to think I'm the worst person ever. Um, and I also think this is just like a quick practical uh, switch that you can use is using different pronouns when you're talking about it. If I would have heard at 13 that, oh yeah, like I heard she's struggling with pornography. Even that would have been like, wow, that's, what? Like this, th- that's you know, great. This isn't, yeah. Uh, it's not just a guy thing. Um, sorry. Did you want to say something? No, I mean, that I was great. I love that. Um. And so number, number three is just start talking about it now. I think a lot of times we, a lot of times we hear about like, yeah, um, we gave our kids the talk (laughs) and we have the one talk in their entire childhood about, about sex because it's an awkward topic. And then it's just one and done. And then, and then they get right up to marriage and it's like, okay, here's what's going to happen. Good luck. Okay. We're, We're never talking about it again. And it makes me sad because it's such a like beautiful thing that if they're not educated through the right sources, then they're going to get educated through somewhere else. Um, and a lot of times that is pornography. Um, obviously make it age appropriate to however old your kids are, but just letting them know that like, Hey, this is something that you are probably going to encounter. Um, here's what, here's what to do when you do encounter it. And like, um, just having regular conversations and creating a space where they can come and talk to you about it. Um, I knew a family and they would basically like, like meet or go on drives or something with their kids, like every two weeks or so on a Sunday. And, 
um, I think they do it like one by one, but it would just be like, just to check in, like, Hey, like a lot of times it helps to phrase the question. Like, Hey, when was the last time that you were exposed to pornography? Um, because again, it's really not an if, but it's a when. And so asking the question like that is going to be super helpful. Um, and it, I think if you do ask it the right way, like that doesn't have to sound super like condemning, like we know, you know? Um, and then my last my last thing that I like to talk about with parents is just those, like the filters and things, like they're a great tool, but they can't be the end all be all. Um, and I, I personally, I don't think that they, they fully work. I'm not saying that they like don't do their jobs, but, um, but I think this idea of like, man, if I just, if I just as a parent put up the exact right safeguards and put up all of, all of this stuff, then we'll be good. And and my kids will never see pornography. But it, again, um, I think I said this earlier, but that idea of perfection is just an illusion. I promise. Um, and a lot of times like the kids do have to go through those hard things and you just have to be there as, as the cheerleader and they do have to kind of enter the refiner's fire and figure out those things for themselves. Um, there is a quote I love, I'm just going to paraphrase it, but it's by Jordan Peterson and he's talking about, um, the beauty and the beast. And he talks about how Belle didn't ever want the beast when he just wasn't the beast. Um, she wanted him most when he knew that that was a part of himself and had it under voluntary control. And so I just think that as, I mean, also let me just make a disclaimer. I'm not a parent. And so I always feel bad giving parenting advice. Cause I'm like, man, I say all this, but I'm going to go become a parent and then be like, man, I knew nothing. So I'm just making a disclaimer. But, but I think that um, allowing your kids to actually like go through those hard things and and learn the lessons that they need to while having you as a constant companion and a cheerleader can be super, super helpful and, and helpful to them um, learning skills of self-mastery. That was another great segment, Maddie. You are a really good writer. You're a very good communicator. You're a really good writer. If you ever end up writing a <laughs> book or books, you'll be... I can see that. Um, just some more thoughts that came down to my mind. I write this on a little notepad as my guests are sharing. I'm remembering um, we had a guest speaker in our ward, and um, the guest speaker held up his phone and said, if you do what I said, your daughter will never marry someone that's looked at pornography. And I just, you know, that kind of, I don't want to be critical of somebody that had a lot of um, good insights, but that statement is not the goal. Um, it's back to the checklist that if we have this perfect formula solution, our kids or the kids, our kids will marry, will never have viewed porn. And um, it, that's a possibility, but that shouldn't be the expectation. And no parent or no priesthood leader can sort of control that through a series of filters or control tactics or fear tactics. It's just not um, the right approach to this. Um, Brene Brown talks about shame. James says, I am bad versus I did something bad. And that's a powerful statement. It's exactly what Maddie shared that her bishop shared with her at the beginning of this podcast. There was no shame there. He went back to her identity. So um, 
I separated guilt and shame at some point in my life. Guilt is more po- is more forward-looking, uh, more positive. Okay, this is what I need to do now. Shame is just looking backwards and also feeling your worth has changed. Another thought, and I've always felt this one day, <laughs> I don't want to be this, just I'm living, my, reliving my YSA assignment as the, with this platform because I don't want to be that guy, but I do, and I've shared this on the podcast, but one night after a long, a long set of interviews with really good YSA men that were working to solve porn, I, I sat alone in the bishop's office, and I pulled up a chair and talked to Heavenly Father, and I sort of said, maybe you miscalibrated here. <laughs> um, it, it just seems like this is a bigger problem than we thought it would be, and of course, Heavenly Father didn't miscalibrate and he understood. But then a couple, a spiritual impression came to my mind is one is I flooded the earth with temples. And um, attending the temple is a really helpful thing to ending porn use. And we didn't make, and I put this in the book, we didn't have a firm rule if the YSAs could attend the temple or could not. We sort of counseled together and made an individual decision. If they were doing everything they could to solve porn use, everything we asked them to do, including sometimes meeting with a therapist to get the bottom of the iceberg, attending the temple was helpful. Sometimes um, attending the temple and having something to work through was not helpful. I guess the principle is, is we didn't have a hard and fast rule. We went with the spirit. There's nothing in the handbook that um, gave us a black and white um, rule there. Um, but the other thing that Heavenly Father said is wonderful spouses and other individuals come in their life to help them. And the principle is there, is like Maddie's been teaching us, is generally it's not best to walk this road alone. And it could be your spouse, even though we don't want to put on the spouses to solve somebody else's porn problem. But the connection and the honest communication and the vulnerable um, connection, the things that Maddie was talking about. And the other impression that came to my mind that night in the bishop's office is this is peaking with this generation. This is the first generation. I'm 61. I was not this generation that is dealing with 24-7. I'm wired just like millennials, and I forget which Gen Zs and Gen Xs, which is on the other side of millennials, but you're the first generation that's 24-7 access, Maddie, and this is why I think it's peaking, because you're going to be the parent, and I'm, I get really tenderhearted, because there's so many peop- really good people working to end porn use. And they were some of the best of the best in our ward. And their hearts were so good. And their efforts so genuine. And they wanted to put this behind them. And they were some of my heroes for the work that they've done and the people that they are. And I saw them as God saw them. So speaking to Maddie here and anybody working to get through porn use, you can do this. And then you're going to be part of the next generation of parents and leaders, and because you've walked this road um, 24-7 access that, that your parents generally didn't walk, and a lot of your leaders, I'm thinking of people 60 and older, um, this is why I think it's peaking, because of who you are, Maddie, and your ability to have all the things you've learned and to have discussions about this, and I think it'd be future kids, and and not only be able to talk about this, but you'll just be real for them for everything. And so your ability to talk to them about the realities of their life, whatever's going on, is enhanced. So this is me pointing, trying to point you forward with hope 
um, those of you that really feel bad about this, um, maybe you'll be sad and wish you never looked at porn, but you'll recognize it refined you in a way that was part of your mortal journey. And yeah, the atonement will erase the sin part of this, but the atonement's not going to take away the learning and the Christ-like attributes that came into your life that made you a better person. And that's part of um, mortality. Now, that's not a vote to go um, look at porn, so you develop Christ-like attributes. just a reality of mortality is we're all working through things. Um, I, was, I had another note here. I like... I think parents, you need to figure out how to talk to your kids about this. We, I didn't do a very good job. We kind of grew up in the PPI where once a fast, I think it was once a month, I'd have my sons and daughters. And culturally, that's the time they could tell me if they were working through stuff. But I think you could, if your kids open up to you about porn use, you can say, what, what is the communication framework you want me to have with you? Do you want me to talk to you once a week and you can report? Do you want me just to be present for you. And you can talk to me when you're ready to talk about it. Do you want to text me the night you mess up? Bishops can do that with their youth, but I think, or an accountability partner, but it takes the anxiety out so that Maddie knows if she were opening up to her parents um, or a priesthood leader, what, what is the communication agreement we have here? Um, so that there's not kind of, and you're not wondering if mom and dad are going to ask me about this randomly at some moment, it kind of awkward. You kind of know, you know, it's in my court to talk about it. So we're going to talk about the first Sunday of every month. And there's just kind of expectations that are unique to every family and every kiddo. Um, I'm just looking at my notes here. That's kind of my notes. So I'm going to turn it back to you, Maddie, for more thoughts. Awesome. I love it. Um, I, I loved when you were talking about like um, the distinction between shame and guilt. And I, one of like the most important lessons that I've learned that has just stuck with me. Um, there was one time I had just, it actually like, it wasn't with pornography, but I had just like done something that I really, really regretted. And I remember I like, I, I came home and I was just absolutely like went, went to my bed and just couldn't do anything. And I was just so, um, just felt so stuck. And I remember I finally, my dad came in and talked to me about it. And he taught me this lesson of hellish guilt versus godly sorrow. And it, it really is focused on what do both of those push you to do? Because um, I worry that as I talk about the idea of like radical acceptance, people will say, okay, well, I just accept porn use. And that's not at all what um, I'm saying. Um, I think it actually is very important to feel a sorrow about it and feel like it's out of line with who you really are trying to be. Um, but I just say that because a lot of times the scale is pushed way too far that way and we feel really, really bad about it. And, and that's kind of what the hellish guilt is, is it's, it's feeling that, feeling that pain of it, but feeling like you don't have any option to change and you don't have any direction forward. And I felt that for so long. And when I finally learned about the idea of godly sorrow, it was like, okay, it's actually okay. And it's actually um, encouraged for me to go through a period where I just feel bad about it. But God doesn't want me to feel bad about it forever. He wants me to come to him um, because he's, he's reaching out to me and, and he wants me to, um, 
to be able to take part of the atonement. So I just, I love that the distinction between just hellish guilt and godly sorrow. Um, and then, so I can't remember exactly. Oh yeah. You were talking about um, the, the people in your ward that like, they're, they're some of the best people that you know that are struggling with pornography. And it's so true. It's like, there's no specific um, mold that people fit into that. Oh yeah. That person's um, someone who looks at pornography. Like, no, it, it really affects like almost, almost everyone, especially in my generation. Um, and so I, I remember, I love attending the um, addiction recovery programs, like the church sponsored ones. And um, I know that like, that's not for everyone. It doesn't work for everyone, but I personally have had really, really good experiences with it. Um, but I just remember one of my first times there, um, I was just sitting and they have a sharing portion and I was just listening to all of the girls share and I could tell just by the way that they um talked about it that like they really do believe that they're sitting in that group because they are um like the lowest of the low and they just had to come because they just needed some like extra support that no one else needs you know like there's just there's got to be something wrong with them like just those thoughts of like shame and of guilt and I just remember um, like looking at them and like feeling so much love for them. And like, um, the thing is like, I didn't even know any of them. Like you go on a first name basis and you really don't have any interaction outside of that um, unless you have like an accountability partner. But like, I just remember feeling so much love for them. And I know that that couldn't, not that I didn't love them, but I know that that capacity of love that was like, um, flowing, flowing through me was absolutely heavenly father's love. And it couldn't have been, and it was just so cool because now at this point, like those are the highest of the high to me. Like those are just absolute spiritual warriors because they are showing up every single week. And it's, it's, it's not for anyone else. It's for themselves and it's for, um, them trying to build their relationship with God. And so I just think it's so cool. And I just think it's so important um, to, again, flip that switch of like that feeling of identity that Satan wants you to feel. And he wants you to think that you're the lowest of the low and that the only reason that you're struggling with this is because you're made incorrectly and there's something wrong with you. That's absolutely not true. And like, like I promise, like highest of the high, I just love those people. And I just, those people really do truly understand the atonement. And I think that's so important. and then I know that we've gone kind of long. And so um, unless you have a couple more questions, this no, is like one of the last things that please keep I want sharing. to. I want to make sure that okay. everything you want to share gets shared. Sweet. Well, this is perfect because um, this is one of the last things I want to share because this was super impactful to me. So, um, and I do have permission from both my dad and my brother to share their story. Um, but so my brother... Um, had also struggled with pornography and he this was before I ever told my dad before he had any idea actually I figured out a while ago that he he kind of knew but he just didn't say anything to me anyway that's another story but um so before I told my dad before I thought that he had any idea we had been talking one night in the car and somehow the subject of pornography came up um and so he he shared this story of 
my brother had been finding pornography for a while and the bishop who it wasn't the same bishop that I went and talked to when I was struggling with um but at that time he told him that he couldn't take the sacrament for three months and then my brother slipped up once and then I know <laughs> I know she's making like the oh my gosh face I, I was too that's that's a whole other topic just having perfect people in in leadership position it's hard um so anyway he he ended up getting it pushed to six months after he after he slipped up once and that was super detrimental to him and he was just thinking like man like i'm just ready to give up like i i don't even know if it's worth it and i don't even know and at the time he was preparing to uh serve a mission and he's like i don't even know if i want to serve a mission like if i can't make it for that long then why would i even who who says i can make it for two years and stuff like that and there was a moment that my dad had um just seeing his, his son in like this absolute just anguish and just being so beat down that he wanted to just kind of tell him to like relax and like hey you know it's okay to just step away from the fight for a little bit um and then he he prayed about it and had some pretty um, real revelation that what he needed to tell him was actually like, this is it. Like this, this is what we were sent here to do. And this is, this is war. And um, there is only war. And that's what this text is called. It's called there is only war. And that was um, like my whole thing is sisters on the front lines. And that was, this is super kind of inspiring to why that is. Um, So I'm going to read it. It says, there is no peace. There is only war. I believe in serenity, stillness, civility, and tranquility, but not peace. Peace, when defined as the absence of conflict or war, is a myth, an imposter, a lie. It is a false god we've been taught to worship by pansies and evildoers. There is only war. I believe in winning, but not victory. There is no ultimate or final victory at least not in this life. And candidly, the next life seems less attractive if the concept of a final victory exists. But I'll leave that to a much wiser general than me. My heaven is Valhalla. There is only war. But how can there only be war? What about surrender? There is no peace through surrender. Surrender is simply one's decision to declare war on themselves. The war continues after surrender. It gets more costly, futile, and painful there is only war. Um, And then again, this is my dad to my brother. So this next paragraph is addressed to my brother. Um, I want to celebrate winning with you and honor every day of your fight. I want to be yoked together in this war. Whether you've won or lost any particular battle on any particular day doesn't matter to me at all. I want us to be fueled by the brotherhood that comes from going to war together. I want to be bloodied, exhausted, humbled, and yet undeterred from the path, the war path, there is only war. Would you agree to text me first thing when you wake up and last thing before you go to bed to tell me whether you're winning or losing? Please don't ever hesitate if slash when the text is I'm losing. That text is the one that matters most because it means that we are still in the fight. There is no peace. There is only war. Love the war. I love being in it with you. That's 
there's a lot of good writers in your family, including you. And <laughs> that's just a beautiful family love story. Thank you. Yeah. If your dad, your family, your brother listening, um, thank you for sharing some of your journey. It's a journey that a lot of Latter-day Saint families are walking. And I think I think of Apollo 13 when I think of these stories where Gene Kratz, in the moment of crisis, everybody thought this, he said, excuse me, sir, this is our finest hour. And I think this is a parent's finest hour when they're walking with their kids in the war, in the reality of their lives. I wrote down a few more notes, listeners, because <laughs> Maddie gets me thinking. Um, <laughs> I thought a lot about the sacrament, and um, I, as um, YSAs would open up with pornography use and masturbation, I'd look in the handbook, and there was no rule there about how I should handle that. And I think it's because we're the leaders want us to be principle-based and not just look up a grid, a repentance grid. Um, and so often we would counsel together and talk about the sacrament. Um, a sacrament to me, listeners, is about looking forward and where you want to go versus a penalty of where you've been. And everything that I know about is um, about wanting to do our best and take and um, keeping our covenants. And now some YSAs would feel like not taking the sacrament would be helpful for them with porn use, and I certainly supported that. But we counseled together, and we often came to very unique situations for each YSA. Now, in a home ward where there's kids um, at home, I'm not taking the sacrament creates so much shame that I'm really nervous about that. Um, and we've had a son that would always sit in the foyer. <laughs> we have four sons, so you can't figure out which one. Um, and finally, we realized he wasn't talking to us about his porn use, but he was talking to the bishop. And I'm glad he was talking to the bishop, but he was so embarrassed about not taking the sacrament in front of his peers or his family that he either came to church late or sat in the foyer. So I'm not sure that helped him. Um, now, performing an ordinance um, is a little different than just taking the sacrament. So there's just nuance there. And um, in... In this book I'm referencing, chapter four is ending pornography use, and chapter five is hope-filled repentance. And I'll link to both of those. You can buy the book at Desert Book or Amazon. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Improving Latter-day Saint Culture from Richard Osler. Um, but I'll just link so you can get to those chapters free in the show notes if you want to just get more of my thinking on both of these subjects. Um, what Maddie's taught us is very consistent with church teachings and what I share. I also um, go slow labeling yourself as addicted. A lot of the YSAs walked in to the bit. Maddie's nodding her head. A lot of the YSAs walked into my office and said, Bishop, I'm addicted to porn. And once we kind of got back to the bottom of the iceberg, we realized, no, they weren't addicted to porn. So that can be a label that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So go slow um, about... Um, and so I'm just looking at my notes to make sure the handbook, taking the sacrament, kind of like simple. I love where you talk about spiritual warriors and I love radical acceptance. So, um, in the show notes, and I'm going to let Maddie see if she's got any last thoughts. Just, we've made a list of show notes. We're going to have Maddie's email there. We're going to have Maddie's podcast. We're going to have my Ensign article of seven tips. And we're going to have links to two chapters, the chapter about overcoming porn use and the chapter about repentance and some of the principles that we've talked about are in there. And Maddie, back to you for any final thoughts you'd like to share. 
Yeah, I always like to end on, and it's always the last question that I ask people on my podcast is, what would you say to a young girl who's struggling right now and who's in your exact position that you were when you felt extremely alone and like you were made incorrectly? So I guess this is just addressed to them. Um, so if those people, if there is a 13-year-old or 11-year-old girl that's listening and you get nothing else out of this podcast, just listen to the next minute. Um I just want to let you know that you are not alone. You are not made incorrectly, regardless of anything that you've done. A lot of times we we feel like, oh, but if they only knew, if they only know knew what I was thinking and knew what what I was looking up and and viewing. No, like there there's just no exceptions. I promise. Um, and the atonement is access, accessible to you right here and right now. There is no need for you to. Um, feel like you have to make it one one week or one month or one year clean before you can finally come to come to Christ with with um your burdens. He's here for you right now, I promise. If you have any desire um to change, he's there. I promise. Um and so yeah, I just I hope you know that you're loved and and you're not alone. I promise. I mean, like, there's not a ton of people talking about this, but you know that at least one other person, <laughs> and I, I know so many other people. Um, and yeah, there's just nothing wrong with you. You were divinely made, and you have a purpose. And God wants you to come to Him to find more, um, and find out more about that. And and He loves you, and I love you, and uh, yeah, those are my those are my final thoughts. I love where you spoke to your younger self and I love where you talked about he paid the price. Uh, One of the things I believe strongly listeners is that Christ has already paid the price of our sins. He enjoys forgiving. If we mess up and keep messing up, we're not adding to his burden. He has paid the price. And sometimes we think turning back to Christ shifts the pain to him. He has paid the price. He wants to forgive. <clears throat> the parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost sheep, teach that doctrinally. He rejoices. We turn to him even if for the same mess up. So my voice is ending. I need to take a drink or sign off. So I will, <coughs> I'll just cough for a second. Uh, but Maddie Davis, you're awesome. You're brave. You're courageous. You're a warrior. In fact, on behalf of all our listeners that want to reach out through wherever they're listening, give you a big hug. Thank you for what you're doing. It is so needed. You're a trailblazer. So this is Maddie Davis and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm-hmm.